Welcome to the 299th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. We are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today we are recording on August 30th, 2022. My name is Brad Galloway, I'm the editor of GameCritics.com, and generally 50% of this here show with me is the man who's drinking a tall, cold coffee cola, it's also me! Yes, this week Carlos Rodella is away from the show. He is living out his dream of mounting a one-man off-Broadway revival of Porky's from 1981 and kids. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google is free. Um, so yes, we're going to be... We? Who's we? Me. I'm going to be doing a solo show uh, just this week while Carlos is off in New York doing his thing. And a little bit of a peek behind the podcasting curtain. I actually recorded this entire episode uh, earlier today. And I know that we sometimes mention that I've got like technology gremlins that kind of follow me around. I don't know what it is, but I've got this like anti-technology aura and it really hit me hard today. Got the whole episode in the can, uh, sent it off to be, you know, produced and ready to upload. And it just sounded like absolute garbage. If you've ever heard the sound of a dumpster fire, that's exactly what it was. So this is my second time of recording this entire episode. And I tested it a million times before we, before I started recording and my fingers are so crossed so hard right now because I don't want to record this for a third time. So with that out of the way, let's hope that everything goes according to plan and that the audio is decent or at least better than it was because it was pretty unlistenable. So, all right, let's go. Let's start things off. Uh, as listeners usually know, Carlos and I usually share a virtual living space divided down the middle of the strip of duct tape, but it's just me this week. As I said, Carlos is off in New York, uh, so it's just my housekeeping. Not going to touch the stuff on his side. Uh, and I have quite a bit to talk about. Starting off with Cult of the Lamb. Just a quick follow-up to that. I think I, I talked about it last week. Carlos and I probably talked about it last week. Said I really liked it a lot in the beginning. I know Carlos really liked it a lot. Um, but I have to be honest. I wanted to circle back and say that after more time passed, the appeal of that game really wore off for me. Um, I think really what it boiled down to was that the runs didn't feel different enough uh, with the different weapons that you got. I mean, there were different weapons, to be fair. Axes, claws, swords, and so forth. But they just all kind of felt the same. It just didn't feel different. And the stuff going on back at your home base, which was kind of the permanent buildup of resources and stuff, I mean, that was okay, but it just didn't feel like it was going anywhere. It kind of felt like I was building things up just for the sake of building them up. I don't really feel like it had any effect on me as a character or that it really was worth the time that it was taking to grind out some of those materials. So great idea, great visuals and style. I really like that a lot, but it just didn't come together. After a while, I just felt like it was a grind and it wasn't different enough. And as the guy who plays all the roguelikes, you know, I mean, I've played the best of the best in the roguelike genre. Uh, I just, I just needed a little bit more from this one and it didn't have it. So, Bail on Cult of the Lamb, great start. I would love to see a follow-up with a few things tweaked, but uh, it just didn't cut the mustard for me. Also, uh, following up on the Sexy Games episode that we had uh, talked about last week, we've, we've, we've talked about it off and on over the, I guess, over the years, but recently, listener Elio Campitelli said he wanted us to do that. Uh, Carlos and I have talked about it a million times. We both want to do it. You know, we try to be sex positive and to look at games in the NSFW category that other people maybe don't cover. 
So it's been difficult though. Like it's difficult for a variety of reasons. Um, but I think we're finally onto it. I think we've got some games to investigate. I think we've got some, some stuff to bring to the table. I think we've got an approach. Uh, I do want to give a uh, quick story. I, I, put out the call on Twitter to say, hey, everybody, followers of So Video Games, followers of me and Carlos, um, if you have a, a favorite adult-oriented game, or if you are a developer making adult-oriented games, please let us know. We would like to feature your stuff on our show. And it was crickets for a while, and then it dawned on me that I guess people are uncomfortable talking about the NSFW games they're playing, right? So um, it didn't occur to me at first, which is kind of dumb, but I guess we try to be sex positive and fairly open on the show. So it didn't, I didn't realize that people wouldn't want to say something, but the lack of responses clued me in. And once I um, opened up the DMs and opened up the email and said to, I would keep people uh, anonymous, uh, we got some more um, suggestions. So that's great. We got a lot of games. Also, a special shout out to Joshua M. French, uh, game developer who uh, is behind the Otoko Cross series. I believe there's a Mahjong and a Poker. Um, I have tried both those games. They are really well-made games, and that is the best Mahjong I've ever played in my life. Uh, not that I've played all that many, but like the mechanics are super solid, which is, for me, one requirement of any NSFW game is it has to be a good game. Uh, but we talked to Joshua M. French on Twitter. He gave us a bunch of suggestions, so that was awesome. Thank you very much, Joshua. Appreciate that. And we're getting this adult-oriented episode off the ground. We're not quite there yet. we got a, a bunch of games to check out and put our list together, but we'll get there. Also... Heads up to fans of Wild Arms and Shadow Hearts, two pretty cult-following JRPGs. Those developers are doing a double Kickstarter, and they are going to be launching Armed Fantasia and Penny Blood, those are the names of the two games, at a double Kickstarter. I don't know how that's going to work, but they're getting those off the ground. So if you are a fan of either Shadow Hearts or Wild Arms, and you want to help these developers make their next I guess, pair of games, then go over to Kickstarter and check them out. Uh, along the same lines, at makeship.com, that's M-A-K-E-S-H-I-P, I guess this is kind of like a Kickstarter for stuffies and other stuff like that. Um, they There are a trio of stuffies that are up for, I guess, kick, kickstart or whatever, whatever you want to call it right now, from the game Sucker for Love. Now, if you remember, I talked about this a while ago. It is the Cthulhu-themed romance visual novel i thought it was a blast i loved sucker for love and the three main romances lanetta who is kind of a uh, cthulhu-esque lady uh esther who is kind of like hester the god of yellow and uh neon lothotep uh she is kind of the the unknowable um neon uh, i can't even pronounce it niar lanhotep stand-in from the Cthulhu mythos. I'm sure I butchered that name. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, each one of those is getting their own little stuffy. Uh, they're about $27 each, which I think is probably not too bad for a very niche item like this. They seem like they're going to be well-made and very cute. And if you like Sucker for Love as much as I do, and you really should, uh, go over to makeship.com and check those out. Also, FYI, Bear and Breakfast, the critically well-received game, is coming to the Switch on September 15th. Also getting some controller support coming to PC, which is great. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Shovel Knight Dig, brand new game from the Shovel Knight franchise coming out September 23rd, uh, which is great uh, because I've always had kind of a bee in my bonnet about Shovel Knight. I love the games. I think I've played almost all of them. And 
the one thing that's always kind of bugged me is that I didn't get why Shovel Knight was Shovel Knight. Like, he's a knight. I get that part. But Shovel, why is Shovel? None of his powers were really shovel or dirt oriented. He didn't really dig anything. He just, like, had a shovel for some reason. If there was ever a story reason for it, I missed it. I just, I was like, why, why is he a shovel? I don't get it. Uh, they finally, the developers, Yacht Club Games, have finally come around and answered that question for me. In Shovel Knight Dig, it is kind of like a Mr. Driller alike. So if you've ever played Mr. Driller, you start at the top of a long vertical shaft, you drill your way down through dirt and rocks, avoiding enemies, and you want to get to the bottom, like usually you find gems or gold or something. It's kind of like a puzzle game, kind of like an action game. I love me some Mr. Driller. And in Shovel Knight Dig, they seem to be taking a cue from that franchise, and Shovel Knight finally fucking uses his shovel! It makes sense now, he's digging straight down, it makes, you know, it all comes together full circle, Shovel Knight uses the shovel. So I'm very excited about that, and it looks like a great game coming out September 23rd, I will definitely be checking that one out. Uh, Also, too bad that Carlos is not here today, because... Netflix just announced that Cyberpunk Edge Runners, a new anime series, is coming out on September 13th. Looking forward to that. I'll check it out. I haven't played Cyberpunk yet, but I will uh, check out the series. I'm always looking for something to watch. And even though Cyberpunk isn't on my agenda yet, still waiting for like the final, I don't know, game of the year version or something, uh, I will check this out. Should be good. Finally, finally. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles The Cowabunga Collection is now out. This collection is 13 retro classics. I don't have the list in front of me, but it seems like it's probably everything that came out on NES, SNES back in the day. Um, Should be pretty good. And then a lot of people are kind of like really back into the Turtles again. I mean, not that they ever really, really went away, but with the recent uh, 2D fighter that came out that was really well done, uh, a lot of people remember how much they love the Turtles. And so here is more turtle goodness cowabunga collection available now uh that's all the housekeeping i have and i had a whole bunch of other jokes and stuff but now that i'm doing this for like the second time i'm gonna skip those jokes because my voice box is gonna give out before i get to the end of this episode let's push on shall we main content the games first up midnight fight express on game pass uh it's a top-down isometric kind of like brawler i'm always up for a good isometric game and this one seemed like maybe something kind of actiony and cool um jumped into it on game pass which is great and it's just kind of like reiterated to me why game pass is so wonderful um because it saved me the money it, it didn't click with me it's not that it's a bad game but the combat just didn't feel like as tight and as purposeful as i like it to um kind of vaguely felt I'm, tr- I'm struggling to even describe what it is. I don't want to say it was Arkham Combat because it wasn't. Um, but just kind of top down a lot of bashing, just beating up crooks and, you know, pick up items like pipes and wrenches and bats, pick up guns. I mean, it was pretty straightforward and standard. I, I can't say that there was any real standout aspects to it in the time that I played. Uh, you also had to go back and play the levels again with different objectives to like work towards unlocks. I mean, okay, if the combat felt better or if I liked my character better, you're just like some random white guy. As far as I could tell, there was no chance to be a lady. And there were some, you know, customizations, but it's like different shirt, different hat, helmet and stuff. And I just wanted a little bit of that at the beginning. You know, I didn't want to have to work for it, uh, at least just for a couple options. I mean, you know, I'm not opposed to working for stuff in games, but, you know, let me connect with my character first before we get started. Um, so it seemed like, you know, okay, um, probably not going to stick with it and I'm glad it's on game pass. So I just dipped in and 
uh, I think I'm probably just going to dip right out. So Midnight Fight Express did not keep my attention, but if you're looking for an isometric brawler, maybe check it out. Uh, what else we have here? Let's talk about Soul Hackers 2, the anticipated newest game from Atlas. Uh, I love me some Atlas. I think most people probably love them some Atlas. Uh, JRPGs of note, they've been in the game for decades. Uh, this is their latest RPG, JRPG. Interesting premise. Uh, the world is headed for chaos and destruction. There's a super AI who wants to stop it. And in order to do this, it splinters off two, uh, I don't know, fragments of its own AI that become people. And so they are no longer connected to the hive mind and they become their own individual identities, even though they are just spawn of this AI. Uh, their task is to stop these certain important people, important to the timeline, from getting killed. But they're always too late um, for one reason or another. One reason or another. And so, as you might guess, soul hackers, the trick here is that they need to revive these people. They hack their souls, bring them back from the dead. And then when these people come back, they join the party. So that's kind of a cool idea. I'm kind of down. The visuals, amazing, as per usual. Like, it's almost boring how good Atlas visuals are. Like, they're super stylish. Colors are great on point. Character design's on point. It's it's a beautiful game. Like, every every screenshot is kind of like, wow, that looks so great. Music is great, as per usual. Um, you know, everybody knows Atlas. Their presentation is just off the hook every single time. Um, unfortunately, I will say that this one did not stick with me either. And I think part of that is because Atlas has been doing demon summoning stuff for like literal decades and i know it's kind of their jam shin megami tensei and all that stuff but like i really wish they would just like give it a rest and just do something different they have done other stuff in the past it hasn't always been it hasn't always been demon summoning stuff they've done other things but i you know with such a cool idea ai's partial ai's in the future reviving people soul hacking um, that was enough for me. Like, I think that would be a really great premise if they enriched some of those aspects, but instead they come right back to the demon summoning stuff, which I gotta be honest with you folks. I like it, but I'm just kind of done with it for now. I just, I want to do something different. And it seems like they could have easily made this a cyberpunk game, a technophile game, some kind of a ghost supernatural slash techno game. There's a lot of ways they could have gone with this that didn't have to involve demons, but they went right back to the demon stuff. And you know, it's not bad. It just, I, I just need to get away from it for a while. So that was kind of disappointing to see. Uses a modified version of the press turn system where you use uh, different elemental affinities to hit weak points on enemies and then do extra damage by doing that. It's like, you know, it's a little bit different than what they've done before, but still pretty familiar. Still in the same wheelhouse as their other versions of the press turn system. Um, I mean, overall, it's not bad. There's nothing bad about it. It's just too familiar and too safe and i really feel like this was a great opportunity for them to just put the demon stuff down for a while and do something else i would have loved cyborgs ai um you know fighting viruses or anything like that just something else besides the demon stuff um i will say though that if you have not burned out on the demon stuff or if you are new and you want to get into something that atlas does this is a pretty good entry point it's pretty straightforward easy to understand um, you know, it's not overcomplicated and it looks great. It sounds great. I mean, it's really appealing. So if you're not tired of the demon stuff like I am, you may want to check it out. It's, uh, it's worth a look. Um, and if you, uh, are tired of the demon stuff, then maybe, maybe give it a pass. So, all right, quick sip of water because I realized that doing a solo show 
Carlos is not here to take a turn talking, therefore there is never an opportunity for me to take a breath or drink some water. I don't know how solo people do it. John over at uh, Gaming the Wild Podcast, I don't know how he does it. He must edit all his little sips of water out or something, but I'm not going to do that tonight. We're going to just power through. Okay, I covered Midnight Fight Express and Soul Hackers 2. Those were both, uh, you know, not exactly winners as far as my definition go, but the other two I'm about to talk about tonight are pretty killer i dig these next ones so first let's talk about yars recharge y-a-r-s yars recharged if you are old like i am you might remember the atari 2600 and if you remember the atari 2600 you might remember yars revenge this was a game where you were like some kind of a bug like a cyborg bug and you were trying to break through shields of enemies and blow them up it was super basic um like i don't know 1984 1985 looks real rough Played kind of rough, was really difficult. Maybe maybe YouTube it, check it out, see what it looked like back in the day. But Atari is back, and they have upgraded this game. They've taken the same concept where you play a cybernetic bug. You're like a, I don't know, wasp, bee, mosquito possibly, um, and you're flying around. And the goal of this is that you are trying to break through the shields of these enemy gun turrets, and you can either shoot them with your, I don't know, your bee shooter, and you, or you can bite through them with your mandibles. Mandibles get through shields quicker, but you're also closer to the danger. Gun, using your, your, your bee shooter, puts you in a safer place because you're further away, but it hits for less damage. So it's kind of a risk-reward sort of a thing. And this is a very arcade-focused title. They take the real spirit of Yar's Revenge, where you're flying around, breaking through enemy shields, blowing up enemy turrets, and, you know, maybe score is part of it as well, and just flying around. It's really it's really great. I really like this remake a lot because it carries that same idea forward, but just updates it in all the right ways. Graphics are wonderful, but not overdone. Like it's all very kind of like neon and bright and clean looking, which is great because it's very hectic on screen, but in a good way. It gets your adrenaline pumping. It feels like you're just dodging with your little bug, flying around the bullets, trying to get in for a quick couple bites, flying back, shooting bullets, going around. And eventually when you destroy enough enemy shields, uh, there is a giant super turret that you have to destroy in each level. How you destroy this is your bug is not strong enough to beat it. So what you do is you, you chew through shields, you blow up smaller turrets, and you save up energy. When you get enough energy, you go back to your side of the board, which is usually the left. Enemies are usually on the right. And a giant super cannon of your own shows up when you have enough power to juice it. You jump in that cannon and you try to aim for the enemy's cannon and blow it up. So the hook of this game, the, the loop, is really good. You jump in. Chew shields, shoot turrets, gain energy, jump in your super cannon, blow up their super cannon, boom, end of level. And you uh, repeat that over different varieties of levels, like all sorts of configurations for turrets, all sorts of shield configurations. It's just really, really well done. Um, I think everything about it is on point. There's an arcade mode, there's leaderboards, there's a mission mode. You can complete arcade, you can complete mission. Uh, so there's an endpoint to some of this stuff if you like an endpoint like I do. Or you can just replay it for score, try to beat your friends on the leaderboard. That's really great, too. Control as well. Uh, looks great. It's faithful to the original concept. My only criticism is that every once in a while, the enemy super cannon will fire at you. And if you get hit with that bullet from the enemy super cannon, it's a one-hit kill. So you really want to avoid that thing at all costs. And because there's so much going on screen, uh, bullets, you know, shield, cannon, energy levels, all sorts of stuff happening on screen, it, it's a little bit sometimes sensory overload. And there is a visual component to the enemy super cannon, but sometimes it's just really easy to miss. Sometimes it's not centered on the screen. Sometimes 
you're just not looking that direction. Um, sometimes there's, you're dodging, you're really focused on some bullet patterns you're trying to dodge, and then you get hit with the uh, enemy super cannon, which is a huge bummer. Um, there is an audio component to this, like an audio cue, but sometimes you don't hear it, or like me, sometimes you're playing on mute and you can't hear it. So I feel like the, the super cannon for the enemy needs a better visual cue, just a little bit more. Um, and I think it would be perfect. Other than that, that's really my only con. I feel like this is a great idea, great design, looks great, plays great. If you want something arcadey, if you have fond memories of Yara's Revenge, this game is kind of the shit. I really dig it a lot, and I am doing my best to roll credits on this, although uh, my reflexes be tested, y'all, because it gets kind of tough towards these end levels. Uh, but overall, Yara's Recharge is a fucking winner. I definitely recommend it if you want some arcade action. Uh, one more game to talk about here. This is also another winner, but first, sip of water. I was a teenage exocolonist. Crazy title popped up out of nowhere. I got an email randomly from PR asking if we'd like to check it out. I said, of course. This is basically a visual novel based on the premise that humans are leaving Earth and they are going to colonize some faraway planet. They're on a colony ship. And if you're not familiar with that concept, um, it's the ship that travels at sublight speeds. And it's so long in space that generations of people will live and die on this ship while the ship is still en route. So, for example, the people who launch the ship will not see the destination because they will not live that long. But they will have kids. Those kids will grow up. They will take over the ship. That generation will have another generation of kids. Those kids will grow up, so forth and so on, until the humans finally get to their destination. And at that point, you're probably... Who knows, right? Five generations, 10, 15, 20 generations in, who knows? Um, so that's a really interesting colony ship concept that they uh, have based their game on. And you arrive, you play a child who I believe is 10 years old when you arrive. Uh, they've never been on Earth. They don't know anything about Earth. And they're just, they're landing on this planet for the very first time. It, this game is great for a number of reasons. Number one, it looks great. It looks uh, wonderfully illustrated. Uh, very colorful, but soft kind of pastel look every character has a very nice look to them this would be a great children's book and i say that in the most positive uh beneficial sense i think it's really good i really like the way it looks it's also very queer friendly you can choose your pronouns uh you can also choose your presentation uh physically uh you can present as male you can present as female or you can present somewhere in the middle uh and also uh i believe you can change that at any time as well if you change change how you're feeling you can also um, have relationships with people that you meet in the game, and there's a number of choices. Some are male presenting and some are female presenting, and you are free to pursue a relationship with anyone. There's no, you know, quote unquote, straight or gay characters. Everybody is just available to, you know, have a relationship with if you choose to pursue that or you don't have to. Um, so I love those options. Those options are really great. I think the story is interesting. I'm not going to spoil a lot of it, but you get to the planet and it's very tough. Because the soil is different, so some of the earth plants you brought with you don't quite grow right. Uh, there's a lot of hostile alien animals that you're struggling to deal with. There's a lot of interpersonal stuff going on because you're in a very small colony. So all those elements are kind of coming to the fore. And this is done in visual novel sense where you talk to somebody, read some text, you get a choice at the end, what do you want to do? But enriching this is a very small, light um, deck building engine. Um, it's pretty basic. It's not, you know, it's not anything. That, I would recommend this game to anybody who wanted a deck builder. This is just a kind of a thing to do when you're not advancing text, which is great. 
because I feel like all the best visual novels have something to do other than advanced text. Um, <clears throat> it's divided up into three different attributes. Basically, it's like brain power, social power, and physical power. And based on the choices you make, you'll get cards that correspond to one of those categories. And then every time you go to do something, whether you talk to somebody, make a choice, you want to take an action, whatever, you have to play a short round of cards. It's not combat, though. The trick is that you're trying to build towards a score. So let's say, for example, you want to go harvest some wild alien berries or something. Okay, great. You need to have uh, a base, base ability of uh, harvesting or of strength to harvest or you need some kind of like bio information to harvest if you qualify you go for the challenge and then it'll say oh you need to get a score of like 20 in order to harvest the berries uh, the the game deals you cards at random based on what you've collected so far and then you uh, i'm not going to get it now but there's rules and very simple rules about how you order the cards and when you stack your cards the right way you get like a score at the end and if you beat the score you win the challenge if you don't beat the score you lose the challenge but you can also quote unquote push through which means you just, I guess, grit your teeth and just work real hard for a minute. And if you don't have enough score, you can use some of your quote-unquote stress resource to get the challenge done. Uh, this will kind of wear you down a little bit. You'll have to rest after a while, and you don't have infinite stress. Uh, I mean, you, you kind of do, but it replenishes, but you can run out, basically. So you have a limited stress resource to help you get through tough pinches, but basically you want to order your cards in a way that gives you the best score. You collect those cards by doing challenges and talking to people. It's a good system. I feel like the characters are well done. I feel like the sci-fi story is very interesting. It feels very relatable. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that they talk about is something that would, you know, make sense if I was founding an exo colony somewhere in the far reaches of space. Uh, I really like it a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to roll credits on this one for sure. I, I definitely want to see how the story turns out. There are some very interesting twists and turns, some things I didn't expect. Um, and I will say also, this is a very small scale game. Your colony is very small. There's only a small number of people to talk to. Uh, there's some exploration, but it's pretty limited. And I say this all in a positive sense. Uh, it's not open world. It's not huge. But you, you are in a very small environment. But I think it works in its favor because you're able to get to your objectives really quickly. You're able to cycle through the story pretty quickly. Um, it's, not, it's not full of fat. There's nothing there to really get in the way of what you're there for, which is the storytelling meeting characters, and uh, doing some of the card stuff. So overall, I feel like I Was a Teenage Exocolonist is pretty awesome if you like visual novels, if you like queer-friendly games, um, if you want a little bit of an enriched visual novel with, with regard to the deck building, adding on to the quality of the writing. It's just like a winner overall. I mean, my only gripes about it, I think, are probably that in the beginning when I started the game, some of the systems were not exactly intuitive. And so I felt like I had to stumble through a little bit to figure out what was what. A couple more tutorials, I think, would have been good. And I also, I don't know that it's a con, but it's kind of a question. I've been really focusing my character on brain power, engineering, biology, uh, organization, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm not sure that there is any benefit to varying those skills. Uh, I don't know that there's any benefit to being a well-rounded person where you spend some in personality, some in brain power, some in physical um, I, some of my choices have been limited because I've been mostly a brainy person, but I have been winning most of the challenges because all of the cards I get are kind of in the same brainy category and they'll work together really well. So I feel like my deck is kind of a winner, but also I notice I'm not able to do all of the challenges that I would like to do. But if I did some of those challenges and varied my deck, I feel like I would lose challenges more often, if that makes any sense. 
So I don't know that there is any benefit to having a mixed deck. At the moment, I guess I'm kind of min-maxing, and it's working out in some ways, but maybe not in others. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. We'll see what happens. Also, I will say, I don't think it's possible to max out relationships with everybody in one playthrough. So you may want to play through again and maybe try relationships with other people, depending on who you like. But overall, I feel like I was a Teenage Exocolonist. Pretty awesome. Also, real big fan of Yars Recharge. Those are definitely the big winners of this episode. And I think that's going to do it. That's going to do it. Um, let's see. A couple things before we go here. Uh, and folks, this is the non-games-related portion of the show. If you don't want to hear my random bullshit, please feel free to bounce. You're not going to miss anything game-related. If you do want to hear the random bullshit, let's do it right here, right now. Okay, one last thing before we go. Shout out to Mattel, the toy company. They were doing some limited edition pre-orders for stuff that was really pissing their fan base off in terms of uh, some of the He-Man figures that fans like to collect were being very, 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 like, way too limited. We're talking about you had to jump to an online portal at a specific part of the day on West Coast time. And then you had, like, literally, like, three minutes to get your order in before they sold out. Millions of people were not getting their orders. A lot of orders got in and they got canceled because they their stock counting system wasn't working right. It was just a big clusterfuck. And a lot of people were really upset. Uh, and rightfully so. So they listened to fans, and the fans were not quiet about it. So they listened to fans, and they said, hey, we're going to change things up. We're going to make the next pre-order 24 hours. We're going to order, we're going to offer two of the figures that we already offered. So if you miss those, you can get those again. You got 24 hours to get in. You order as many as you like. We're going to make as many uh, to fulfill every order, and then we're going to stop. So still limited. Not an infinite amount of toys, but they're only going to make, you know, the exact number that people order and that's it. But honestly, this is a great way to go. I understand limited figures. I understand not wanting to flood, you know, retail. And 24 hours is way, 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 way better than three minutes. And the idea that you can order as much as you want and then they're going to make as many as people order. Aces, aces, aces. Thank you so much, Mattel. Uh, I think every He-Man fan in the universe is really glad that you changed this up. Thank you for listening to the fans. Speaking of He-Man, big shout out to the Netflix He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Season 3 just dropped, and as far as I know, that's all there is. Um, I know that the showrunners are talking about they'd like to to do more, but it has not officially been greenlit. So as of right now, it's just seasons 1 through 3. And this show is fantastic. You don't have to be a fan of He-Man. You don't need to know anything about the show before going into it. Um, I mean, if you do know He-Man, you'll get a couple, you know, Easter eggs and nods. But it's a wonderful show. Great writing. Um, show is uh, produced by Rob David, and I believe that Jeff Matsuda, I think, is one of the artists working on it. In terms of the design, it's CGI, it's kid-friendly, but it's also family-friendly and really interesting. It's got a lot of really good um, issues they talk about. Characters are wonderful. I think the graphics are fun. And there's a lot of really just like good humor, but also some really epic moments. I mean, uh, I love I love He-Man and the Master of the Universe. The new CGI one on Netflix, I think it's fantastic. And honestly, I think it's way better than the Kevin Smith series, He-Man Revelations. Uh, that one was kind of dark. He did some really strange choices. Uh, I mean, not sure that I'm 100% down with what Kevin Smith was doing with He-Man. I much prefer Rob David's uh, approach, and I think it's great. So shout out to He-Man and the Masters of the Universe on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, please give it a shot. Even if you don't think you like He-Man or even if you don't know anything about He-Man, give it a shot. I think it's a wonderful series. Also, speaking of Netflix series, 
Shout out to Dead End, which is on Netflix. This is based on some books I'd never heard of, but uh, uh, a person, two people, get a job at kind of this like haunted theme park, and there's ghosts and demons and devils and all sorts of stuff. It's a little bit scary. So if you've got like tiny kids, maybe um, maybe keep them away from from this. But I think it's okay for like, you know, 10 and up probably. It's not super scary or anything like that. But it's not really about the demons. And what it's really about is about acceptance and about family and about being yourself and accepting yourself. Because uh, the two characters each have their issues that they discuss on the show. The main character's name is Barney. And they are overtly a trans person. They say it, I believe, just right out in the open in episode two. Barney says that they are trans and that their biggest worry is that their uh, their parents don't have their back, which I think is a very realistic and very relatable thing. Uh, his uh, Their friend, um, it's a girl, and I honestly forget her name right now. I apologize. Uh, she has severe um, social anxiety. And so she struggles with like some sensory input. She struggles in high stress situations. And so they support each other. It's just a wonderful show because they address issues that I think a lot of kids are going through these days in a really like honest sense. And I think Barney's great. I think um, the girl is great. I wish I remember her name. I'm sorry. Um, and I think uh, there's also a lot of laughs, right? It's not just about like serious issues. There's a, a demon that's trapped inside of a pug, which is really hilarious. There's a sidekick devil who does like all sorts of weird stuff. Um, it's just a really good show. And I feel like if you've got kids, if you have a trans kid, if you are a trans kid, if you have anxiety, your kids have anxiety, or you just want to see a good show that relates to people kind of in a Kind of in like a Steven Universe slash Netflix Shira sort of a way, where it's a great show, but also great just for people and feelings. Uh, I really like Dead End so far. We're about three, four episodes in, and up to this point, definitely a big thumbs up. Final shout out to Reservation Dogs. We've talked about it a bunch on this show already. Um, so shame Carlos is not here because I was going to tell him again. I really appreciated him uh, putting the show on my radar because this show. Honestly, I feel like it's probably one of the best television shows ever made. Like, I know that's a big statement, but it is so good. It is so real. Um, for those who missed it, it's the story of four kids who are indigenous. They're growing up on a reservation in Oklahoma. Uh, they talk about the good part of the culture. They talk about the bad parts of the culture. They talk about being teens. They talk about, you know, wanting to grow up. How do you relate to family? How do you relate to others? Your future? I mean, it's all just... You don't have to be indigenous to appreciate this show. I mean, I, I, I'm not indigenous. My family's not indigenous in any way. And we we feel for these kids. We understand them. We, we get where they're coming from. It's like just human issues they talk about. Um, and it's it's great because it's funny. It's sad. It's hopeful. It's it's depressing. It's really negative. It's really positive. Like it just it runs the gamut of human experience. And I just really, really, really appreciate that. Performances are great. Writing is great. It's also uh, partially produced by uh, Taika Waititi, who is the uh, the New Zealand uh, director behind some of the Marvel films, uh, the Thor films, Thor Ragnarok, and uh, the other one that he did. He also does uh, what we did, at, what we do in the shadows. Uh, he did the uh, the pirate show that's on Netflix. Everybody really likes. I can't remember the name of that. It escapes me right now. But you know, if you like his style, where it's like serious but funny and irreverent, and then it gets dark, and then it's funny again, like it's real real slice of life kind of stuff. Um, you can definitely sense his fingerprints on the show. And apart from that, just the show itself is just pretty fucking fantastic. So highest possible recommendation to reservation dogs. And once again, shout out to Carlos, uh, for recommending that if you haven't given a shot, give that a shot. 
All right, folks, that is going to be this show. As always, send us your questions and comments. Hit us up, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at sovideogames. You can reach us individually. Uh, Carlos is on uh, off-Broadway this week, so we're not going to worry about getting in touch with him until he's done with his production. Uh, But as for me, same as always, my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's. And this is going to do it for episode 299. Thank you again for joining us, or I guess just me, here on the So Many Games podcast. And we will see you next week. But in the meantime, this is bye from Brad. And that's it. Uh, Carlos back next week. And we'll be back to our regular format. Hope you enjoyed the show. See ya.